Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched An American Tale, Fievel Goes West. John, and thank you for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. In American Tale, Fievel Goes West, Fievel and his family are struggling to find their place and make ends meet in New York City. The recent cat attacks also lead them to believe they need a change of pace. They are told of a place out west where cats and mice live in harmony, so they hop on a train for a whole new adventure. Screenplay by Flint Dill, directed by Phil Nibelink and Simon Wells, and released on November 22, 1991. Have you seen An American Tale, Fievel Goes West before? Yes, I have. So have I, but not since the original home video release, probably. Yeah, me too, because I remember not liking it as much as the first one. That's interesting. Yeah, I probably felt the same at the time, but watching them back to back now, I like this one more. Oh, right. <laughs> I like the first one still. <laughs> okay. I guess okay. we'll get into that a bit. Um, you know, the, the copy that we watched was also home video, but I think we watched, uh, we acquired that after it came out. We watched uh, a copy that came from McDonald's. They had a promotion around the time of Jurassic Park where if you bought uh, any of these following movies and you can get a $2.50 rebate on your $25 copy of Jurassic Park on VHS. So it was between like this and Field of Dreams, Land Before Time and Back to the Future. And so I think our family picked up this one and then probably Land Before Time in that same promotion. Mm. Uh, but we never we never owned Jurassic Park on VHS, so we definitely didn't get it just for the rebate. It was probably just a very cheap movie that you could buy with like a Happy Meal or something. So that's the version that we watched. We were hoping to have like previews or McDonald's commercials or something in there, but there was nothing. So unfortunately, even though we watched an actual live copy, once again, no this coming like attractions our, to talk about. Yeah, this is like our third time where we've been Yeah, it was disappointed. like Popcorn, Unborn, and American Tale. Yeah, no commercials. Nothing. Very disappointing. Uh, it's the main reason why we watch them in that those formats when we can. Um, but yeah, let's get into the, the meat of the movies. I think both of them have a very, very simplistic plot. Um, basically, things aren't going so good, so let's move somewhere else. Uh, in the first movie, it's, it's an immigrant's tale of mice from Russia trying to make it to America on this big boat that's full of other mice from other countries who are also going to New York City for a fresh start because it's a land of opportunity mm -hmm. and in that movie they say America has no mice or no cats and there's like a big big song and dance about how America has no cats and then they get there and they find out it's not true and they have to defeat them uh, this one same basic theory is that things are, are no not working cats. so well <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. the, in the west <laughs> yeah things are not working so well in new york city but out west cats and mice live in harmony and dogs also so you know everybody gets along out west 
so you should come out west. And that's just a, a fib that's told to them by a cat who's controlling a mouse puppet. Right. Um, which is kind of weird that they don't notice it's a mouse puppet. That's why I was like, these peop- these mice, I don't want to say people, <laughs> but I'm like, these mice cannot tell that that mouse was like a marionette mouse. Evidently not. They don't see the strings floating above him and stuff. I was I was like, or they the believe that, yeah, this thing. Clearly, yeah, disjointed wooden parts and things yeah. like that, so... No, they don't. They don't notice it. I mean, it. they're. I know that they're mice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yes, I mice are like, not uh, meant uh, to be smart. Yeah, I don't they're know. They're not portrayed in a very smart manner. Cats are supposed to be sort of outwitting them in a sense, but I mean, cartoon history tells us that mice are supposed to be the smarter between cats and mice. Now, you know, always the mouse is always outsmarting the cat. Uh, this is kind of an exception, except for Fievel, who stumbles onto their plan by being naive and you know wandering when he's not supposed to be wandering sort of like what happened in the first one where he went where he wasn't supposed to go and then he got right. separated he's from his family like, and had to save the day yeah he's just like a typical kid like mm-hmm. a precocious little kid and that's what was bothering me in the second one is like he gets separated from his family again <laughs> Just the fact that it happened again? Yeah. Like Home Alone 2 syndrome? It's like, okay, well, what's going on with these parents leaving Kevin behind? Yeah, and then when he was reunited with them, they were like, oh, it's just you. Thank it's like, God. oh, good, you are alive. Right. Cool. Like, they didn't give a shit that... I mean, in the first movie, they were agonizing looking for him. This mm. time... <laughs> I'm going to contradict you with that. All right. Uh, I mean, the sister wanted to look for him. And then and the, the parents, parents like, forget it, he's dead. Well, because I like, think... We don't, we don't, no, it's it's a lost cause. We don't think he's alive. Shut up. Well, because the father, <laughs> yeah, the father, like, saw him go off into the sea. So in his, yeah. maybe in his mind, he's like, okay, he is as good as dead. And I, this is like yeah. his way of grieving is like, no, he's dead. And but same I know thing the with little... this is like, you know, he is thrown off the train or whatever by the, the spider. There and, aren't, and they, they say, aren't... oh, mouse overboard. And like, okay, well, he's he's a goner because he is So, I mean, because the, the, the dad is like, oh, okay, he's gone. Like, he didn't process his death, like, as if he was going to die in this one. Yeah, but if they he... also didn't, yeah, they didn't actively search for him at all. They just kind of like, okay, well, that happened. Time to move on. Uh, just I, think the way, that I don't know. I I know this is just like a cartoon. It's just like these mice. The family is just like, uh, all right, well, you're back again. Cool. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, all right, well, now. And we the only one that like really food, super cared you. about him was like the older sister. Yeah, the older sister. Uh, so who didn't really have much of a role in the first one at all than to say, hey, no, I think he's alive. And then... And now yeah. in this one, he, she has a little bit of a role. Different actress, actually. I didn't write down the name of the actress who's who played um, Tanya. Tanya or Kathy. Tilly, I think, is what they called her in the first one because the American, you know, tried... I guess Tanya wasn't, uh, wasn't American enough oh. of a name in 1800s New York, and so they called her Tilly, and that's why Fievel was Philly. Philly, yeah, but they uh, still call him Fievel. Yeah, they, they reverted back to their their original names in this. Um, yeah, it's 
uh, when they arrive at you know Ellis Island, you know. Yeah, a lot of names. A lot of changed, names were changed, except when they say they're Mouskowitz, their names don't get changed. Their last names don't get changed. They did, but they changed them back again. Afterward, I forget what they were given new mouse names at, at Ellis Island, but I forgot what their new last name was supposed. But to be. they were like, forget it. Yeah, it it never came up because they, you know, it doesn't matter. They're like for we're the, the Moskowitzes, and yeah, that's it. <laughs> they're yeah, they're not going around society and like trying. I don't know to interact with. They're not building businesses in the context of the story. It's 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 a separate thing. It's just sort of a nod to here's this is what happened to immigrants when they arrive because these movies do take place in the 1800s um i think as a kid i probably didn't recognize that or retain that information but the first one's like in 1885 i think it was and then this one would have been a couple years later this next year or something chronologically so this is like late 1800s that this is taking place yeah the the first one was 1880 because it was when the um Statue of Liberty was being built. Yes. And that's what I had to look it up. I was like, when was the Statue of Liberty? I think they had little um, graphic on the front. Yeah, it was like 1885. Yeah, it finished around 1885, 1886. Yeah. And then I was thinking, like, was that because didn't American Tale come out in 1986? And I was like, was this movie made just as an homage to. It's probably serendipitous timing. Oh, okay. Yeah, I it, was it, like, oh, was this made for that reason because yeah. of the Statue of Liberty being built? I don't. I don't think that was the reason, but I think they, yeah, they might have used that They're as a promotional like, oh. type of a, a thing, um, a tie-in. So, um, but I mean, you know, the the tale of immigrants coming to America and trying to find their place—that's a, you know, timeless thing. And then just to have the additional perspective of it being mice to give it that cartoony feel so the children could see the story. I think that was the overall goal of the first one. Um, second one was a little bit more of a cash grab in that it didn't really need to exist. But I think the reason I enjoyed it more is mostly because of the animation. Um, and I think that the story had a little bit of a better flow to it than the first one. The first one, the scenes tended to just kind of end abruptly and switched to another perspective and another um, through line, and, and it just didn't, didn't work as, as cohesively for me. Um, but we were talking about the sister, and we kind of got sidetracked on that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Tanya does have a role in this, and that she's trying to be a, like a professional singer, and in New York, she's not able to, uh, because, I don't know, whenever she sings out of her parents' windows, which is not for money, just to do it. Just to sing. Uh, then People are... People are throwing stuff. Yeah. And like throwing tomatoes They're angry and stuff. At her for singing. Yeah. And I think that that was. Uh... I, I thought it was just like interesting that they incorporate the humans as well as the mice. Yeah, world. that does happen more in this one than it does in the other one. But still not a huge degree, but more like, yeah, when they're in the saloons and stuff at the, the town, there's like the cat saloon underneath the, the human, human saloon, saloon and yeah. the worlds sort of collide here and there yeah but most of the time when you see the out and open air both in new york and in the west in both movies really it's just animals you yeah. rarely see humans yeah 
And I think in the first one, it's probably because they wanted to be as efficient as they could with the animation and not add a whole lot of elements. Um, like I said before, the, the animation in the first one was not nearly as strong as this. It's uh, very lackluster. It, there was a lot of situations where the background elements or the characters were just frozen in time because they just did not want to actually animate the people that they were putting on the screen. Um, you could see like a lot of shadowing and ghosting and transparencies in the cells. It's just very sloppy to me. Um, and I'll say the first one was done by Don Bluth, who has uh, a good reputation of, of creating interesting work. And then this one was supposed to be done by Don Bluth, but he wanted more money than Steven Spielberg and the producing teams wanted to give him mm. because they wanted him to do it for the same budget they did for the first one. He said, no, it's going to cost more. Uh, and so then they said, no, never mind, we'll do it ourselves. And it did end up costing them quite a bit more to produce this one. This cost $22 million to make, uh, whereas the original one cost about nine something. So Don Bluth was right. Uh, <laughs> but the people they chose, Phil Nibble, Phil Nibble Link and yeah. Simon Wells, uh, they did a pretty good job. They definitely tried to get a little bit more ambitious with things. Uh, especially, like, at the beginning of the, the movie, you see Wiley Burp in a fantasy sequence. Mm -hmm. uh, so Wiley Burp is, like, this fake... I, I don't know if he's supposed to be fake or if he's just, like, an urban legend type of a character. That's... This, I was like, how did Fievel know about him? So there was a the legend... The same way that people would have heard of, like, Billy the Kid. Okay, or, you so... You know what I mean? So, like, word just passes Word of through. mouth from the west to the east. Yeah. So, yeah, word traveled at some point about this character named Wiley Burp, who is this sheriff dog, uh, and he has this fantasy sequence of him helping Wiley Burp take out all these cats and there's like this gunfight and i say it's ambitious because you see the animation you know the, the camera is like circling around wily burp and you can see all these different elements and there's like a first person perspective and stuff like that and so they're trying to do fun and interesting things and get good movement and new perspectives with everything whereas the original one don blue's idea of flashy was just oh you have a gold tooth let me add some light coming through the the back of the animation stand to make it glimmer that's like this you know sort of almost like a trademark of don bluth is all like the shimmer techniques that he puts on those things so that i mean i'm kind of like a minor animation nerd and so yeah that's this appealed to me a lot more just because i thought there was a lot more polish to this a lot crisper in the animation side of things because i thought the stories were ultimately basically the same yeah, pretty much. I, don't, I I just didn't care too much about this story. Yeah, but I found that I wasn't caring too much about the other one, too. I cared more about the first story than this. Because I was like, yeah, it's like the what you were saying before, just the Home Alone 2 thing. I was like, again? I don't know, but we're just in a different setting. Yeah, what's... What maybe hurts this one a bit more is that we don't get to see a whole lot of new characters. The first one, you get introduced to a whole bunch of different characters. Right. Um, you know, you got like the... Was it... It was like the hawk at the Statue of Liberty, I think it was supposed to be. I don't he really remember. He was a remember. pigeon. Oh, pigeon. Okay. Um, and then like the pigeon pals. And then you have uh, Tony and his 
rebellious like his little gang yeah whatever um leader it was kind of like newsies or something yeah <laughs> and very typical stereotypical new york accent type of guy yeah gives him the nickname of philly and he joins the rebellion and there's like the hoity-toity person and then the mayor character and all these other people but in this one uh we have tiger who yeah, is tiger the carryover from the last movie yeah a- is still their friend who's the only cat that they trust at yes, that point because he's a vegetarian and he likes mice uh he not helped... but not in that way he likes mice as friends yes, but not in that way because they have to make an actual point of that <laughs> is like... making a joke of it mm-hmm. um and then you get the new set of bad guys you don't really get to see any new helpers except for wiley burp sort of at the end really um you have miss kitty as well who is tiger's girlfriend who may or may not be playing both sides. You don't know until, you know, the end of the the movie. Um, And then Tanya becomes something of a new character because she was so pushed off to the side in the first one, and now she actually has a speaking role, and she, you know, factors into the plot a bit more uh, with her... um, Cabaret sequel? I don't know, what is... Like her singing... Her her performance, her debut? yeah. Which is like weirdly, like almost, I don't know, like nearly sexualized in a way, the way they do. Because she's like basically like a can-can girl. Right. Well, that's what Miss Kitty is. Yeah. But, you know, they, they like put her in like the, the makeup and like, you know, the puts the blush and the lipstick yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. on this like 10-year-old girl. I don't know how old she's supposed to be. Well, yeah, the 10-year-old mouse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um... But yeah, there really aren't that many new characters. We have basically two new bad guys, too. uh, Because even though there's a gang of bad guys, it's really... None of them have... Like, if you look at the uh, cast list, cat list, um, it's Catterwall, who is the main bad guy, played by John Cleese. And then you have Chula, who is the spider sidekick, played by John Lovitz. And those are the only two that are named, even though there's like five or six different goons surrounding them. None of them like are I named. S- when I was looking at the... the credits, it's just like random people playing quote additional voices. Yes. It's like so and so additional voice. Yeah. And it's probably just, you know, one of those many sidekicks. So no clue as to who did what. <laughs> uh, clearly they did not have names, but So that does hurt it a little bit. And the fact that Chula is uh, he's obnoxious. I mean, they had that in the first movie, too, with, like, that... What was he? Not... He wasn't a spider. He was more like a cockroach or something. That was in this one, wasn't it? No. Was it not? No, Chula the spider, and then the first one the was, The first like one was the cockroach. Cockroach. Boy, I'm already getting it mixed up. It's only been a couple of days since we've seen these. It's uh, just, like... I like the cockroach Same. character. I liked yeah. it, the, the the way the voice actor did all the twi- the twitches and the ticks and the the noises. Yeah, and... the cockroach. Yeah. Yes, but John Lovitz just basically tries to do. I didn't even. Yeah, I didn't even Godfrey know that was. Impression. Yeah, I didn't even know that was John Lovitz until you know looking at the cast list. Yeah. Which is probably how it should be, honestly. Yeah. Um. But in those cases, I mean, if you can't tell who it is, then should it be a big star? Probably not. Uh, most of the people who are in this are not major stars. But you do have Dom 
DeLuise, who uses his real voice. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, much more so than the first one, he, he tends to be more like a snagglepuss. Like his performance mm-hmm. is much more like a snagglepuss performance than in the first one. Um, and then you have John Cleese, who's basically just... I think this was his first voice acting role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he just uses his own voice. And right. I also saw that he turned down a role in Beauty and the Beast to do this. Interesting. <laughs> so, oops, maybe? I don't know. I don't He's know. doing fine and the, I mean, you have James Stewart. That, like, this is his last His role. last movie. I was like, I don't know. I was like, this guy has done so many movies, and his last movie is An American Tale, Five Will Goes West. Yeah. I don't know if that was planned to be his last movie he didn't die for a few more years after this he right. died in like 97 was, was, was like, it or 95 like, yeah um but it just turned out that this was the last movie for the, the oscar winner uh so i mean you have a decent cast of side characters but aside from those three or four it's yeah nobody knew in this one and the main plot the main conceit of the bad guy was you know bring everybody into the west be nice to them gain their trust and then get them into a giant gathering so we have this mouse trap that will squish them all at the same time right because they're gonna eat them like mouse hamburgers which is a really weird convoluted plan just to get them all in one location to smush them all Right. You wouldn't think that you would need to have them build up a town and, you know, build their own mousetrap without them knowing it's a mousetrap. You could have probably just found a way to funnel them in and say, hey, we're going to have a town hall meeting and then smush them, you know? Yeah, they could have just... See, so he hired them to build... Did the mice build that? Thing? The like mouse, yeah. I mean, that's really the main part of the plan, I guess. But like, it's he not hires really the mice to build this thing, thinking that they're building something for the town. Well, and it's instead... free labor. It's, it's right, yeah, yeah. yeah. And but instead, they're like, "Oh, you're building your own mouse trap." Yes, but, but they, they're also they building the rest of the town. They're yeah, building shops and they're building the town for the cats to use later on. Right. Um, because it's this big harmonious thing. So that's the biggest villainous aspect is I'm going to take all your free labor and you have to build this town for me that I'm going to use after you're all dead. That's yeah. That's the that's the real meat of it. But what they say in the movie is, well, and then they're going to build their own mousetrap. We're going to gather them in this really small space mm-hmm. and then smush them um, through some weird ribbon system that goes along multiple things it didn't make sense the whole the whole mousetrap thing was more convoluted than it needed to be as well and it also looked very much like a mousetrap when they saw the wide shot of it so yeah it was one of those snap mousetrap yeah traps with like a spatula type of a thing yeah that would flop on top of them with all the holes and stuff so yeah i mean there, I'm not saying this one doesn't have its problems, but I still enjoyed it more than the first one. Oh, I don't know. I mean, the first one to me is more of like a coming-of-age tale. This is just like, oh, here we go again with the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> I get you. <laughs> I'm not saying you're wrong. 
Uh, I think this one also really ventures into the cartoony uh, territory. Yeah, it's like too silly. Especially, I think it's almost all the tiger stuff. Right. When you're following the family or even following Fievel, it's... I mean, you have mice talking. You have them doing human Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is a cartoon. (laughs) relatively grounded in reality within that construct. But Tiger, he's like bouncing around and pinballing across these dog cages. He's Mm -hmm. flying thousands of feet up in the air and coming back down and he's largely okay. Stuff like that Mm -hmm. uh, is happening to Tiger, which is weird. They didn't have stuff like that in the first one. No, and that's why I didn't like it, because it was too silly to me. I think I I like the sad story of, like, Fievel trying to find his way back to his family. Sure. This was just silliness ensues. Fievel goes missing. Fievel comes back, and then his family's like, oh, all right. Mm-hmm. And then, then it turns into And then this... they don't believe him that the evil man is evil. Because right. he also says that he saw a tiger treated like a god by these Native American mice. Right. Like, Which oh, a tiger's I was like, a god, and this guy's going to eat like, us. Sure, whatever, sure, Fievel. I mean, it's like no one believes Fievel. This poor, this poor like, seven-year-old mouse. I don't right. know. No, I understand your your perspective. Uh, the first one obviously had a better song too. Right. About the songs. Well, yeah, obviously. Uh, somewhere out there was a massive hit, absolutely huge. He actually won the Grammy for best song of the year. That year. Um, I mean, yeah, that song is still good. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> even like, it was the, one of my like, favorites as a kid. Right. Uh, that and you know like. Oliver and Company, Why Should I Worry, was like around the same time. Like, those were my two. And I know this song, um, what was it, Dreams to Dream? Mm-hmm. Like, they got um, Linda Ronstant to do it again. Yeah, they brought her back to, to sing this one. Not in the movie, just in the end credits. Yeah, just the end credits. And probably on the soundtrack. It's... I don't know if they had both versions on the soundtrack. but Yeah, it looks like it was. Because, yeah, I mean, in the first movie, you have Tanya and Fievel singing somewhere somewhere out there. This movie, it's Dreams to Dream, Tanya singing it. And that's when Catterwall, like, she's just, you know, she likes to sing. Yes. And she sings this song, Catterwall hears her and that's when he like takes her to become this saloon girl in his saloon his cat saloon yeah she was she becomes like the one mouse that she that he wants to save and not eat in a right sense because but he is so enamored by he's her gonna singing use he her to keep her around to sing and then take all the money that she gets i guess oh yeah yeah and then miss kitty helps her escape that life right um which is why she's there i guess other than just to be a potential love interest for tiger and add that element in there yeah so there's there's a lot going on but at the same time there's not a lot going on in this movie it's it's very very standard um again i think where it really starts to shine compared to the first one is just in the animation portion of it the story-wise they're virtually equal in my side um in terms of you know how they're pre- I don't know 
virtually equal stories. Eh, whatever. We've gotten into it. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one does have some more problematic aspects with the Native American mice, though. Yeah, I was like, oh, no. So, uh, yeah, that when doesn't age super, that. super well. They almost treat the Native American mice as, like, natives, you know, like a... Like you see in, you know, any Looney Tunes. Yeah, they're going From, like, 60 years ago. They string Tiger up, and they're going to eat him and put him in a stew, and they're all doing, you know, racist chants around right. him. And then, oh my gosh, he might be a god because he looks like this rock formation. And, these yeah, they dumb? treat him like a god for that time period. I don't know what that was. Because they just start feeding him fruits and veggies. And he's like, oh, how did you know I was a vegetarian? Right. But then, and then... I don't know, like, Fievel appears? <laughs> yeah, Fievel, okay, so they're both lost in the desert. Right. Basically. Tiger tries to follow, he gets lost in the desert. They both have mirages, and at one point they have that little... Yeah, the whole know, thing where... Sequence uh, where they meet each other in the desert. But they, but think, they think they're, they're mirages, mirages, and, so and then the, there's that. Um, and then... Yeah, at one point Fievel is picked up by an eagle, and is about to be eaten... And the Native American mice attack the eagle to get him to be dropped. And he gets dropped into almost Tiger's mouth, like near Tiger's food. And so Tiger like accidentally eats him and then finds him in his mouth when he spits him out. So that's sort of how they get found again. Yeah, and then Fievel tells Tiger about what's happening at this Green River where they're at in Utah about what's happening in the town about what Cat Catterwall is coming up with with the mouse trap. And but Tiger doesn't really come with him right away. No, it's not. He's until, kind of like a not until final. Not until Wiley Burp comes in to, at the near the very very end. <laughs> but I think yeah, well, because then they train Tiger to be like a dog. Yes, Wiley Burp is very old in this. He can't really do everything, and he needs backup of other dogs. Yeah. And they choose to only get one other dog in the form of Tiger, pretending to be a dog. Right. And Where are I the mean... other dogs in this town that yeah. they could use as like an army? It's really just Tiger. The... So... <laughs> but I mean the whole. The whole part with, like, the whole, I guess, montage of Tiger turning or trying to be, like, a dog, that was cute and all, but I don't know. Yeah. It, and I think somehow... Something of a longer montage of yeah, different stuff. Somehow he's told that Miss Kitty is there, right? Because yes. he's trying... Because in the beginning of the movie, Miss Kitty leaves Tiger because she's like, I want you to be more like a dog. And I was like... What, tough, I guess? I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it's. She's it's like, really I want you like to be. I want you. Yeah. Conversation and then I she's want you off. to be a cat, but more like a dog. A cat that's more like a dog. So, it, I, I guess be more tough. <laughs> yeah, something, something along those lines. And then she just one. skips out of town and goes to the same town as, like, Fievel's family. And then, you know. Train doesn't take too many detours, I guess. Right, yeah. They um, go straight to Utah. Point. They don't stop anywhere in the Midwest or anything like that. I was like, why is everyone going to the same place? I mean, I don't know. Uh-huh. 
Because that's where the, that specific town is where the cats and the mice and all everybody lives in, in harmony. In so. harmony, yeah. But there's um, only one dog and tons of cats and tons of mice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but the main thing is that Wiley Burp is real. Right. Uh, we but... find him later on in the movie. Uh, he trains Tiger and then they save the day and he gets super mad when Miss Kitty is in trouble and, and just goes Right. He nuts finally and sees puts on Miss his Kitty dog. in peril. Yeah. And that's when he starts barking and yeah. whatever. He's and then using the cats his cats get flung away into right. the, they they get put into the mouse trap and they get flung into the air, land in a mail sack and then the train takes them away and which to, unplugs a water tower wherever. which gives them water when st- flowers start growing everything's happy right yeah so that's that's sort of how that goes um so there's like one part um i was like was this for the adults was when fievel tells tiger about catterwall's plan and then this is, you know, Tiger is being treated like a god. And he's like, okay, well, you can go back to the town. Skip on to this little tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. And while Fievel is rolling along in this tumbleweed, they play Rawhide. Yeah. And I was like, was this for the adults? Because that's, you know, the song that, I mean, it was... Was it because of the Rawhide theme song, or is it because of the Rawhide song that the Blues Brothers sing? I don't know why they. Well, okay. I was I mean, like, why, it's a, it's why a this part? It's a, it's a well-known I know it's, western. Yeah, but I think yeah. I mean, Blues pl- Brothers might have been part of it, but that was what like eleven years prior to this. I was just like, why this? <laughs> and I think it was, if I read correctly, I think it was the Blues Brothers version that was used in this movie. Yeah, and I was like, um, okay, why? And then, <laughs> but wasn't there also like a, a dog food commercial at the same time as this that was using the Rawhide co- oh. theme song as well? So it was somewhat familiar to modern audiences from that. I mean, I watching as a kid, I knew what Rawhide was. Yeah, I mean, me too. So... But it wasn't I mean, so to out of the plug into the adults, like, oh, Blues Brothers, I don't but know. But it was also weird to see, you know, a song from another source in this right. movie as opposed to another original song. Yeah. That was kind of odd. And, you, you know, as the tumbleweed's passing by, all kinds of different animal creatures are singing rawhide. You see them lip syncing it. That's where I was like, this is too silly. <laughs> I got you. I mean, it, I get, I understand this is like meant for children, and but I like more of, I like more emotion and stuff. I mean, I thought you would be more interested in this one just because it's less of a musical than the first one. The I first like more one, emotion. I was like, I like, I like sadness over silliness. I guess. Okay. That's that's fair. And then I mean, um, I know that they made more. There's two other movies. Movies, in this and I think sequence. they're uh, prequels because it's them in Manhattan. It's American Tale, The Treasure of Manhattan Island. Released in 98. And then you have The Mystery of the Night Monster, which is. From was, 1999. But I don't know where that was. But I was like, do they go back to Manhattan? But then I was like, oh, this is a prequel. So it was when they were still in New York trying to 
make a life for themselves. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I never watched those because I was like, "Eh, I can't. Yeah. (laughs) And plus, I mean, that was like 98, 99. I mean, we're like in high school going into college at that point. So I I had no interest. Yeah, we had no younger siblings to, you know, that would have been of of age to watch these with. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I... I had I have younger siblings where I had to watch all the uh, not all but a lot of the uh, Land Before Time sequels. Yeah. So th- this is why I, I don't like a lot of cartoons, I guess, because <laughs> I had to watch them. That's true. You, you growing you, up yes, from it is like tougher to get you to watch fifteen to sometimes. like. 23 so when you're a 15 to 23 year old you do not want to watch like kid stuff anymore not really depends on the person and i guess i mean i i sort of was watching i was there watching are a lot of people like who just do not outgrow like the disney aspect you know if, if I get it looks it. like it might be some quality then there's a difference then you know, i mean you know, i'll watch like certain yeah times. i'll watch certain like pixar and stuff like that now but usually when an animated movie comes out and if it's not like studio ghibli like i just don't care right yeah and when it's mostly directed video like every single land before yeah if it's a director video then that makes you double don't care (laughs) yeah there's there's definitely an added bit of uh yeah stigma to it uh and this was one of that was released in the theaters one of the few animated sequels from like the don bluth you know Series, even though Don Bluth didn't have any active involvement in this, that actually made it to theaters. So, I'm sure part of that was having Steven Spielberg still involved. But, um, I, I honestly, I, I don't mind musicals as much as you do. Uh, but I actually appreciated that this was not a musical, the way that the first one was. There weren't s- spots where they just stopped and broke out into song. That started to bug me a little bit in the first one. It, like, ruined the flow more. I wanted to get in the story of things, and they just, just stopped for these really dumb songs. I guess it just reminded songs. me of, like, Newsies, even though news. I mean, it's, like, the same era, and, you know... And I haven't seen Newsies, so. Oh, okay. I mean, that is a musical, and I... Did, I don't, I'm, like... I don't know. I, like... I either hate it, or I like it. Yeah. There's no, like, in-between. Okay. with musicals for me it's like absolute hate or oh i really love this well we'll revisit that discussion <laughs> again probably in beauty and the beast or i'm not sure how many other musicals there are in this project of ours but uh yeah yeah i'm sure we'll have more to say about that then uh i was also a little bit surprised that this movie did not really play with the western setting a whole lot until the very end when you got Whaley burp in there and you started going around the town and you have the saloons and the there wasn't much to do it's just a story that happened to be in the west it didn't really play with the western setting at all and then their quote fight scene was like 5 to 10 minutes I mean this is a short this is like a 75 minute movie so it's just or 80 something but yeah I don't have the box in front of me Um, I think it was like 82 both of them were like in the 80s I think 80 to 85 but yeah you have an early sequence where the cats are chasing them all around and then they go into the sewers and again that rapid sequence is animated very well and you know you get seen nice perspective and you get you know they're teetering on the edge of falling off the cliff and you get to follow them with the camera you know there's cool stuff that's happening in the beginning and then 
virtually no action until the very end. So it's fine that it's a longer sequence because there isn't much in between the way there was in the first one where they have multiple shorter action sequences. So I didn't mind that there was a longer action sequence at the end, but I was ready for the movie to be largely over still. <laughs> um, I, I do want to mention that there were a couple different variations. We, we mentioned some of the problematic scenes, and in fact, in terms of like the Native American representation in this, uh, the channel Freeform in 2019 when they aired this movie removed some of the shots of the Native American tribe. Um, same thing for, I guess, the treasure of Manhattan Island. They, they did that at the same time uh, to kind of reduce some of the not-so-great portrayals. Mm. So it is not aging super, super well. Um, and then also apparently there is... Almost every animation movie has this rumor about it of some lewd content, some weird sexual thing that's put in there that exists for this movie, and it is real. And it was finally removed from the 2017 DVD and Blu-ray editions, but there is a penis doodle in the movie in one frame. I mean, we didn't... We didn't notice it while we were watching. We didn't notice it, I mean... Because it is just one frame. I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to, like go back and rewatch a VHS just to look for no, the doodle. But it, it it's yeah. going to be there. Um, we're not going to have it on our website, but just search uh, you YouTube it. and it's there. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's on YouTube, so we just won't put it on our website. Uh, but yeah, there's a spot where it looks like somebody, from what I was reading, looked like somebody had messed up while drawing. Mm-hmm. They were flipping the animation cell over and just did not remove that mess up that they turned into a penis drawing as a joke mm. and so they're like reusing a cell or something i don't know some weird thing like that happened and it just left it stayed in and it stayed in the home video releases <laughs> until 2017 so i don't know how many reprints or anything uh, came out in between i mean who time. are these people that are like eagle-eyed looking for these things i don't know i have no idea <laughs> i don't know <laughs> You, you, you know, you just have somebody notice, like, a weird little blip in the screen. You're like, hey, what was that? You know? Yeah, I mean, I'm just not hardcore looking for stuff like that. All I know is, like, okay, in the video game world, there's a lot of debate over, like, 30 frames per second versus 60 frames per second because people supposedly can tell the difference, even though, you know, 24 frames per second is what most films are, you know, filmed at. And, you know, it's a pretty good continuous motion. So if there's people who can tell the difference between 30 and 60 frames per second... Um, you know, just by eye, then there must be people who can notice, hey, there was a blip on the screen there, let me go back and see what that blip was. And then they notice it. Only takes one. So, that's that. That's the controversy, as it were, I guess, in terms of the movie. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about uh, the awards, and then we can get into the cast and crew. So there were award nominations, actually just one. Uh, a Golden Globe nomination for Best Original Song for Dreams to Dream. Music by James Horner, Will Jennings did the lyrics, uh, but it lost to Beauty and the Beast. The song, Beauty and the Beast. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we'll talk a little bit about James Horner and Will Jennings. So. Uh, James Horner, we'll see him again in several different 1991 movies, most notably Rocketeer, 
Uh, he is an Oscar winner for the Titanic score, as well as the best song, My Heart Will Go On. Uh, he shared that with Will Jennings. Um, he was also nominated for the scores for Aliens. He was nominated for Somewhere Out There on the same year as Aliens. Weird combination for a, a person. I'm going to do the score for Aliens and also I'm going to write Somewhere Out There for American Tale. Uh, but anyway, Somewhere Out There lost to Take My Breath Away, by the way, back then mm. in the Oscars. I mean, yeah. It's a toss-up. I think Take My Breath Away probably has more longevity. He also did the scores for Field of Dreams, Braveheart, Apollo 13, Beautiful Mind, House of Sand and Fog, Avatar. He was nominated for all of those Oscars. Uh, and then, unfortunately, he died uh, in 2015 in a solo uh, plane crash. So his... Will Jennings, uh, like I said, he won the Oscar for My Heart Will Go On. Uh, he's also written such songs as Up Where We Belong from Officer and Gentleman which I think he also won the Oscar for. Uh, and he also wrote Tears in Heaven with Eric Clapton. Golden Globe nominee for Higher Love, Didn't We Almost Have It All, I'll Never Love This Way Again. Those are all his songs as well. Um, so he's, he's a very prolific songwriter as well. Getting into some of the cast and crew, the director Phil Nibelink. He is a collaborator with Don Bluth here and there, but he also does some stuff for Disney. He's done, uh, we're, as a director, he did We're Back, A Dinosaur Story, as well as a 1999 movie called Puss in Boots with Judge Reinhold, Michael York, and Dan Haggerty, which sounds terribly fun. Uh, <laughs> as an animator, he's worked on such stuff as Black Cauldron, The Great Mouse Detective, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. He was one of the leads on that one, and also the Casper 1995 movie. Uh, Simon Wells, who co-directed this, also did We're Back, uh, Balto, Prince of Egypt, Mars Needs Moms. He also was a storyboard artist for a whole bunch of stuff like Spirit, Shrek 2, and Shark Tale. And he's also the great, uh, yeah, great-grandson of H.G. Wells, the author. And so Simon Wells used that to his advantage to direct the live-action movie Time Machine with Guy Pearce from 2005 okay. or something like that. So, uh, Flint Dill also has famous grandparents he's the grandson of john dill who is uh the person responsible for the buck rogers comic and so he's part of that estate uh he's mostly known as like a cartoon writer uh for tv so and, and also comic books and stuff like that so he's um i'm sorry video games so he's done pirates of dark water in 1991 that was him attack of the killer tomatoes cartoon gi joe inhumanoids the garbage pail kids cartoon those were all flint dill He's also done games like Tomorrow Never Dies, Nuclear Strike, Army Men, Chronicles of Riddick, and also some of the live-action FMV stuff like Double Switch and Corpse Killer for any of those Sega CD fans out there. Uh, he's also worked on Dungeons & Dragons manuals and stuff like that, so he has a very wide variety of stuff. And then he... this doesn't really fit in the mold as much. But... as it is... Um, Jim Stewart, we already talked about how this is his last movie. I think if anyone doesn't know who he is, <laughs> please please familiarize yourself with James Stewart's work. Uh, he sounded very tired in this movie. I mean, it sounded like Dana Carvey's <laughs> it did, yeah. version of James Stewart. And I was like, why didn't they just use Dana Carvey at this time? 
I mean, if you can get James Stewart, then you're going to get Jim Stewart. I, I guess so. Um, that might have been a backup plan if he passed, especially with John Lovitz on the roster here. Yeah, uh, yeah. So Jim Stewart was, was Wiley Burp. Uh, Oscar winner for the Philadelphia Story and nominated for multiple movies such as Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, It's a Wonderful Life, Harvey, and Anatomy of a Murder. He's done a bunch of stuff, including a bunch of westerns, which is why he was probably uh, considered for this role very strongly. Uh, a couple of other major people, Dom DeLuise is Tiger. He is also working with Don Bluth on All Dogs Go to Heaven. Uh, he's been in Blazing Saddles, Secret of Nim, Cannonball Run, uh, Spaceballs. He's also in the 1991 movie Driving Me Crazy, so we'll see him one more time. And I like Dom DeLuise quite a bit, so um, even though the character is cartoony, I still like the way he brings that character to life. Uh, Amy Irving was Miss Kitty. We didn't really talk about her like at all. Miss Kitty did this very small role. Uh, Steven Spielberg's ex-wife came in to work with him on this movie. Uh, Oscar nominated for Yentl, but also had a Razzie nomination that same year for Yentl. Hmm. Weird. I don't think that happens all that often. Um, John Cleese as Catterwall, Oscar nominated for A Fish Called Wanda as a screenwriter. Also, obviously, most well-known for Monty Python and Faulty Towers. John Lovitz, um, well-known for SNL. Also, at this point, a little bit with The Simpsons, maybe? I don't know if he had been doing too many guest roles on The Simpsons yet. Might have been right before that started. Anyway, Simpsons critic, League of Their Own, wedding singer. Um, he's on a bunch of stuff. And then the main people in this we got Philip Glasser playing Fievel. Uh, he was in one episode of Gabriel's Fire in 1992. We've talked <laughs> about that show, so I figured I'd mention that. Uh, he was also in Tiny Toons in 1991, at least one episode of that. Um, he has done the Creepy Crawlers TV show, which I did not know existed. But that was on for like 26 episodes or something like that. He was also on a TV show called Hang Time. These, Hang Time is live action. Creepy Crawlers was animated. Um... Hangtime was like Dick Buckus and Anthony Anderson and a couple mm. other people. Um, it was sort of meant to be like a Say by the Bell type of a show in the later 90s. Sort of past our time. Mm. Uh, he's also a singer. He's just quoted as singer for a lot of Disney and Pixar movies. I think that's where he gets, you know, most of his work is just like a, a stable singer of Disney. Uh, including Beauty and the Beast. He is in that doing something uh, so maybe you can pick out his voice i don't know uh and he was also on an episode of i'm telling the game show with his mm. sister and i tried to find the actual episode on youtube there's like about a dozen or so episodes of i'm telling that are available on youtube none of them have philip glazer unfortunately or glasser i'm not really not sure how to pronounce that uh, but i'm telling is a really good game show or was sort of like a newlywed game you're you've watched it remember. yeah so it's sort of like Newlywed Game, except it's like brother and sister. And then at the end, whoever wins, they get to run around this uh, hill of prizes, right. like one at a time. Mm -hmm. And you have to like pick which prizes you want, but your brother or sister don't know what you picked. And right. so, you know, you have to match them in order to actually win the prizes. So it was really cool. So check out I'm Telling. Um, and if you find the episode with him on it, let us know. We got Kathy Cavadini, Cavadini as Tanya. 
-hmm. Again, replacing the original actress in this remake, she played Jennifer in the Back to the Future cartoon, but she's well known for uh, playing Clash on Gem and the Holograms back in the 80s, uh, and also probably most well known for playing Blossom in the Powerpuff Girls. So she's been, she's been busy since American Tale. So she does not only the voice, but also the singing in the movie. Uh, Mama was played by Erica Yan, who is Madame Ruby in Pee-wee's Big Adventure. She was on that uh, that one show, The Famous Teddy Z. I don't know, that was like a John Cryer thing okay. that kind of failed in the, the late 80s. Um, and then she was, in 1991, she was on episodes of Equal Justice, episode of Sisters, and also The Trials of Rosie O'Neill, which we talked about <laughs> as well. Uh, Papa's going to be kind of our you know, pausing on the credits, as it were, a short one. Uh, he was born in 1919, and he is still alive as wow. of this recording. Uh, he was 72 back in 1991 when he made this movie. Not too much difference in age of, of James Stewart, I don't think. Uh, I think James Stewart was, like, in his 80s. I think he died in, at age 75-ish. I could be wrong. I don't know. Feel free to look it up if you want to. Um, but anyway... James Stewart died in at he the died age in like of 89. Oh, okay. So he was like he was 80s. early 80s, early mid 80s when he recorded American Tale. Mm -hmm. Five Goes West. Okay. So, yeah, about 10 years off. Anyway, uh Nehemiah Persoff. I didn't say his actual name. I just said Pop. <laughs> <laughs> Nehemiah Persoff, born in 1919. He was one of the very first students at the Actors Studio back when that was being established by Elia Kazan was one of his first teachers. Um, he was born in Jerusalem, moved to America with his parents in 1929, became a citizen shortly thereafter. He fought in World War II for America. He recently released an autobiog autobiography, like this year or last wow. year, uh, The Many Faces of Nehemiah. Um, he's been in the movies Yentl as Barbara Streisand's father. He was in, on the waterfront as like the cab driver uh, who helped, you know, was with Marlon Brando. In that famous scene, he was Little Bonaparte in Some Like a Hot. Um, and then he's been, he was acting for a long time until a stroke at age 70 made him quit acting. Mm. So very much well accomplished, still going um, as of this recording. Again, fingers crossed, but uh, if you want to know more about him, he has an autobiography out. So there you go. That's the cast and crew. We already talked about the awards, so... Uh, on to true crime and pop culture. I can't imagine there'd be true crime unless you want to get into, like, Billy the Kid or something. No, I'm not going <laughs> to get into that. I couldn't find anything that happened on this day. It was November 22nd, 1991, which was a Friday, and I think maybe it was the day after Thanksgiving, like I'm assuming. Um, uh, maybe. And unless it was, like, the week before Thanksgiving that year. Oh, uh, well, it's Whatever. Who Thanksgiving. <laughs> Around Thanksgiving time, regardless. Right. I Just like how it is in this podcast. You're watching this, you're, you're listening to this after Thanksgiving was, in 2021. Right. Um, yeah, anyway. But um, I couldn't find too much that happened around that time, like in the news or anything like that. Sure. Or nothing noteworthy that happened, nothing tragic, besides maybe people shopping on black friday or whatever right um but so i'm just gonna get into tv and i 
It's pretty much the same, uh, the TGIF lineup. And, I mean, it it is Thanksgiving-related, a lot of these uh, episodes. Like, Perfect Strangers had an episode called Wild Turkey. And then after that, on Baby Talk, the show, there was a their episode was called Cold Turkey. So we got turkey-related mm-hmm. episodes happening. And on CBS, um, I found like a five-minute clip, and I guess I'll show, I'll give it to you. Okay. But on CBS, the Carol Burnett show was on, and it had Christopher Reeve on it. And I found just this five-minute clip, and it was... It, it seemed like it was the opening of her show because it was him and her talking about how they knew each other and okay. they've worked together somehow. And then they start singing and they do this row, row, row your boat kind of round. And um, moving on to music, the top five songs as of November 23rd, 1991 was uh the first one was when a man loves a woman by michael bolton number two is cream by prince and the new power generation three is set adrift on memory bliss by pm dawn four is it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday by boys to men and then five is can't stop this thing we started by brian adams it's kind of similar to yeah, it's not too much different, just slightly different order, maybe. Yeah, it was a different order and kind of... And this was, like, the week before Michael Jackson's Black or White started, you know, like, Dangerous came out. Because mm-hmm. I was looking up um, albums that were released, and, I mean, Dangerous comes out November 26th. I didn't okay. want to talk about it, because I was like, oh, that's yeah, the we'll next find, week. Yeah, there's another movie that... We talked about that in, like, Cape Fear and other Right, yeah. Like, I mean, this was right before Black or White became a thing. Okay. Well, we should also probably briefly mention that there was a video game based off oh, of this yes. uh, movie, which I've never played, but there is a, a Super Nintendo game yeah. based off of Five Old Ghost West. And there's been other American Tale spin-off, you know, computer software or whatever, a couple, I think, Game Boy Color games from, you know, just throwaway shovelware type stuff probably. But, uh, they're, you know, I think this might be the first movie that we've, covered that has a game directly based off of it didn't i mean didn't you say this before and it turned out that no i said something about naked gun well naked gun did not have a game based off of naked gun 2 there was a naked gun franchise related game okay so this is one where it's actually it's there an was actual... an actual adaptation okay this is the first the movie, movie. Yeah. put into a video game yeah i have not played it yeah, I have not either. I don't own it either. So, but we'll we'll try to find like a like a play. Um, yeah, we'll probably find like some sort of like a long play video or you yeah, know, a review or something like that that we YouTube can put onto the website there if you want to listen to that. But it won't be the last. We we got plenty more. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've even recently played through a game that was uh, a 1991 movie. So coming soon at some point uh on rankings and ratings we go on your one to five star scale where would you put an american tale five old goes west i mean i'm gonna give this a two that's fair that's fair like i said even though i like this better than the first one 
I think it's really just because of the animation stuff and not anything else. Um, so I'm probably going to say it's like a... Mm, I'll say it's a two as well. I'll say like straight up middle of the road. Whereas the first one, I'd probably give a one and a half. Oh, I mean, I think I would give the first one like three or four. I can't, I don't know. Like, yeah. it wasn't just the animation stuff. It's just that the story progression and the way the scenes were lopped together so seemingly haphazardly without any real progression or start or end to them, it bugged me in the first one. And the same basic type of stuff happens here. Anyway, um, I'm going to say two for this one. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Uh, no. <laughs> I'll watch <laughs> would you the... Would you buy it from McDonald's to get $2.50 off of Jurassic Park? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll watch the first one again, but not this one. Yeah, I don't... Hmm. Maybe I'll watch the first one again as well. Um, hmm. Right now I'm going to say no. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen these, so it's good to revisit them. So maybe in like another 20 years or something, then uh, it would be worth seeing even. him again. But I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm good. I can move on to other like Don Bluth stuff even. So, But if you out there want to watch An American Tale, Five Will Goes West, as of this recording in November 2021, it's available on Stars, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. Uh, as for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. It really does help us out a lot. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our family theme uh, with Suburban Commando. That's available as digital rental, VHS, or DVD. We will see you then. Thanks.